Good morning. Welcome to the Sunday after Easter service. A lot of you guys came back, which is a good thing. I uh, really appreciate everyone who spoke so far, Edison and Sam, and uh, the Gaineses did a great job, um, just reminding us about Easter being every week, and uh, appreciate Rob bringing the zeal, and uh, so now we get a chance to dive into the Word, um, and so we're going to be able to pick up back in Philippians. I know we took a break from Philippians uh, to address kind of the time uh, of the year, which was always pretty special, but looking at Palm Sunday and then looking at Easter. Um, So we're going to get back into Philippians. For those who've missed a lot of the Philippians uh, lessons, uh, you can read Philippians later, which is not a long book by any means, uh, or you can listen to the podcast. Uh, All of them are on the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. But let's go ahead and hop over there now, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, look a little bit more into this incredible letter of friendship here. Uh, our theme for the year, as always, we just throw the slide up because it's important to remember, grace-driven transformation. Uh, that's the goal for all of us. Uh, whether we've come to the decision of conversion to repent and be baptized or not, uh, if we have made the decision, the goal is to continually allow grace to drive you toward transformation into Christ. If you've not made that decision yet, to allow grace to wash over you to get to a point where you do make that decision and you begin that process of transformation that begins the rest of your life. And I really love what Carlos shared about how actually creation itself will be redeemed. It will actually be brought back into redemption. And that everything's kind of heading toward, you know, entropy, right? Everything's kind of heading toward destruction. But God will actually redeem all of mankind. He'll redeem those uh, who have uh, been uh, reconciled to him through Christ. But also he'll redeem creation, which is incredible to think about. So I appreciate that point there. Pretty uh, inspiring. And as we have a great day like today, hard to imagine this. This is beautiful as it is. But God to really bring this back into into his likeness uh, pre, pre-Adam and Eve, pre-the fall. Um, but Philippians chapter 2.19, Stephen spoke last about shining like stars. Uh, this is, basically, this is a, a letter of friendship from Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, imagine like you would, uh, you know, reading a letter of friendship. Um, actually, I received recently a letter of, of friendship. Uh, a lot of you guys know Edwin Valdelamar. Uh, he's... He's a disciple, a brother uh, in the church, and he, uh, his work takes him between here and Honolulu. It's actually funny. I can see uh, which cities listen to the podcast the most. Number one is Charlottesville. Uh, amen for that. Uh, but actually fairly close behind is Honolulu. And um, that's all Edwin. So he's carrying a lot of weight there. Um, but so I told him, I said, hey, man, I'm seeing, you know, I'm, you're showing up on the stats here. But, but Ed, Edwin actually wrote uh, a letter basically just, you know, uh, saying how much he loves you guys how much he appreciates you. He says, say hi to the family, say hi to the gang. Uh, we have a, um, you know, in our D groups, our singles men's D groups, he Skypes in. But as he writes those letters of friendship, uh, you know, it's, it's really special. And you feel like uh, what you feel is, a, wow, he's, well, we're on his mind. Uh, he took the time, actually it was typed out, uh, I think on a typewriter, which is incredible. And it had a seal, like a real seal, like with wax and everything. With his crest, I know, right? Uh, what a... But every, everything I kept looking at, and he sent cookies over. The Yopro's got to eat the cookies at our midweek last week. Some uh, Hawaiian cookies that were pretty awesome. Uh, there was a brownie in there that was incredible, I guess, I heard. Um, but, um, but every time every time I looked at the letter, right, so you see the seal, you see the crest, you, you open it, you see how much, I mean, it's, it's nice. It's not, you know, haphazard. And every, every little characteristic of the letter, it just makes you feel more considered. 
and it makes you feel more loved because this took thought, it took um, prudence, it took, uh, he had to sit down and do this and think through the letter and he wrote down names. It wasn't just say hi to everybody, it was like say hi to Jesse Lee, say hi to Chris Garbett, to Aaron Stevens, to Leah, to Liza, to Vicky, uh, to, to all the Yopros. He listed all the Yopros. They had all of them and give them these cookies, you know. And so he's actually going to listen to this at some point. So thanks, Edwin, for that. Um, but it actually, it actually gave me a great example for what is going on here in Philippians. That as Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, at every, every sentence they hear, every sentence as this, as this letter is read aloud as it would be. They would have met. Not, not a lot of people back then were literate. And so they would have met together to read scripture publicly. And so, they, you know, the, the, the bearer of the letter would have stood up and, and read it, you know, basically said, you know, to those in Philippi, my brothers and sisters. And at every second that they, they heard another word, another concern from Paul, they would have felt more loved. And they would have felt like, wow, he, he took the time to consider us. And so really what we get a chance to do with this book is really dive deeper into what true friendship looks like. We've talked a lot about friendship already, and we're going to dive into some other aspects of friendship today. And we live in a world that is not great at friendship. Um, And not to dive too much into this philosophically, um, but basically, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. And in a capitalistic society, first and foremost, you are, to 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 the government and to our culture, you are a worker. You are a worker. If you ask a child what they want to be when they grow up, uh, they don't say, a part of a community. They don't say, sometimes, a lot of times, they don't say, a disciple. What do they say? When you ask them what they want to be, who they want to be, what do they say? A profession. That encapsulates them from an early age. It's all of us as well. Our idea of what it means to be something uh, to have an, an, an achievement. And even as people choose family values over their, their job, they actually feel guilty. Because they go, oh, no, I need to work. And that's because that's what society has told us for a long time is important. Uh, and secondly, if you're not, after a worker, you're secondly a consumer. Uh, you're supposed to buy things with the money that you get. And in fact, if I asked any of you, and maybe this just happened in fellowship break, uh, hey, how did your week go? You might have first said, how did your job go? You might, the first thing out of your mouth might have been, how was work? The second thing out of your mouth might have been how you spent money this week. Oh, we went out to a great restaurant. We saw a movie. It didn't, wasn't really good. Uh, and so actually a lot of who we are and what we are is we are a product of our culture, which is a worker and a consumer. And we've got to understand that. We've got to see that. And what that does, the reason I mention that is because what a lot of psychologists and philosophers have noticed in the capitalistic societies, when you get more money, what do you buy? You buy more things because those things are supposed to bring you happiness. And what we kind of see is the more things you buy, the more alienated you get. The more things you buy, actually you feel less a part of the community. You feel more distance from people. Uh, it's kind of this it's like box theory. Like when you get enough money, you can buy a box to get to work in. And in that box, you go to work, which is another box. Then if you get enough money, you can buy a bigger box where you can go home in and live in that box. And then you can watch what you want on your watch box. And it's just this, and, but the whole idea, you can play a video game on that box, but you never have to, you're actually pulled away from people more and more and more. And you're kind of told that this is, the, this is what's going to bring you happiness. And, and if you ask anybody, a lot of people don't really like their jobs. A lot of people say, I don't like my job, but somebody's got to do it. Or I don't like my job, but we all kind of have to do this, right? Because we all kind of accept the fact that we, don't, we all have to work, but hey, it's worth the money so that we can go spend it on some stuff. And that stuff will most likely bring us happiness. That's kind of what capitalism is based on. So 
When we talk about this, this is a very unique situation. This is not what they were facing back at the time, but I just think it's important for us to understand what kind of world we live in today. We are much more likely to be independent. We are much more likely to be alienated, much more likely to be depressed and alone. Um, And we're much more likely to try to medicate ourselves through some kind of consumerism, through some some, some product, some vacation, some uh, new new video game, new book, new movie, uh, new whatever, right? Uh, New bubble tea place that just opened, uh, new yoga. uh, We're trying to to find this happiness. And we just basically realize, as as everybody who realizes, as they try to fill fill that God-shaped hole in their heart, that it just won't work. That we are, first and foremost, spiritual beings. So therefore, we can only be filled up with the spiritual. And as Paul writes this letter, we're going to see an incredible example of friendship. And I hope it can really blow you away as we really dive into what this means. But just to remind people, Paul is where? He's in prison. Paul's in prison, and he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Um, And so we're going to read it first in verse 19 of chapter 2. Paul says through the Holy Spirit, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because he he as a son with his father has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you otherwise did not have opportunity to give me. And we'll stop there. This is the part of Philippians that you usually skip over uh, because you don't really know how to make heads or tail of it. We really like the beginning of chapter two. You know, that Jesus Christ being in very nature, God lowered himself to be in Jesus is Lord. We get excited about that. And then we keep reading and we go shining like stars. And perhaps we have kids and we can read them that passage about doing everything without grumbling or complaining. So that's a really crucial passage to help our kids not complain so much. That one makes a lot of sense. We can actually take that one home. It has a handle on it. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Okay. But what do we do with this? What do we do with it? How do we really know what's going on here? I think one of the things that's cool about this passage is it reminds us that the Bible was written to real people. Right. The scriptures were written to real people, real disciples in a city with real jobs, real struggles, and real sicknesses, just like us. The Bible is not some far off, you know, distant, ethereal, uh, third person, God from on high, us way down here situation. No, this is the gospel in reality, gospel in practicality. And so what's incredible about that is we're going to see that this is real stuff going on. So apparently what had happened, 
This is called a mirror reading. We only get one side of the conversation, so we've got to fill in the gaps. But I think we can do that. And so pretty much what happened was uh, the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison. So Rome on the left in green, uh, Philippi on the right in red. So the church, it's pretty far. So church uh, in Philippi, they heard that Paul was in prison. Now, here's the thing. Prisons back in this time uh, did not take care of your needs. Prisons today, they take care of your needs. They give you water, food, and things. These prisons did not care whether you died or anything. They didn't give you water or food or your necessities. It was up to your friends to take care of you in prison. So Paul's in prison. The church in Philippi hears about this, so they have this idea. And this will become more clear as we read the book of Philippians. But they want to send him a gift. They want to send him a a, a pretty sizable gift, as it turns out, to take care of him, to encourage him in this time. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome, especially at this distance. Uh, It's not necessarily a neighboring area. I mean, this is probably this, you know, this is a good uh, several hundred miles. And so what they decide to do is send Epaphroditus, probably with some buddies. And they have to go through Corinth, by the way. They have to go uh, a sea route. So they go around. And it becomes apparent that somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus becomes sick. So he gets ill along the way. Uh, Because, I'm not going to get into this too much, but Philippi knew that he was ill. But how could they know he was ill if he made it to Paul? Well, probably because somebody went back and told them. And you know what they told them? Guys, we were on our way. Epaphroditus got sick, but he still kept going. I came back to tell you that he's very ill, but he's going to keep going to Rome and get that gift to Paul. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus does, is he continues on his way to Paul, even though he's sick. And so I think that's important to know, because it gives us a little insight into what happened, what happened with Epaphroditus. And that gives us a little insight into what Paul's thinking here. The title of my lesson is The Cause Conquers. Um, the Cause Conquers. Uh, it's kind of a funny story I like to, to tell, and it's about, it involves, uh, you know, a lot, like a lot of my stories, uh, war analogies. But in World War I, uh, which was an incredibly horrible war, by the end of four really rough years, both sides didn't really have much food left. I think the home front, like people back in Germany were uh, limited to about 500 calories a day because uh, rations were so intense. They didn't have enough food uh, after four long years of war. And so if people at home are getting 500 calories a day, people who are fighting are not getting that much either. And so kind of this interesting story, as Germany has this last great uh, spring offensive in 1918, they had this last great hope to win, and they send out this, this huge attack. And uh, the story goes that the attack was sent out, and it seemed to advance, but the, the, the commander back in, behind the lines didn't ever hear news about how it went. So he's like, what happened with these guys? So he goes up, and he tries to find out what's going on, and apparently the attack was going really well. They were gaining ground. The French and English were retreating. But the Germans came upon like an empty farmhouse uh, with some milk and some bread. And so instead of moving on in the war, they decided to stop and have a decent meal. And so the commander shows up and he's like, go move forward. Go, go. We've got to win the war. And they're like, dude, we just want to eat. Like, we don't know. They basically said no. They gave up on the cause because they didn't care anymore. It had been four long years. It didn't matter anymore. They, they wanted, to, they wanted their, their, their own needs to be met. You know, we can get really excited about a cause. We can have a rallying cry. We can say, oh, we've got to do this and do that and get behind something. There's a lot of great causes out there. There's a lot of great social causes, but they all tend to fade after a while. People lose interest. People lose uh, indignation. They lose concern about it. At the end of the day, they all come back to the same realization that, you know what? I just care about meeting my needs. 
This was too hard. It was too difficult. It meant that I had to give up too much. So you know what? I'm just going to stop at the farmhouse and get a glass of milk and some bread because you know what, commander? You're some commander from on high giving down these orders to win some war that doesn't affect me. I got to feed myself. I got to feed my family. I'm done. I'm out. And so in the same way, we can do the same thing with Christianity. We can do the same thing with Jesus. Uh, I love to have a picture of people after their baptism, and they're so excited. They're so, they're, they're so behind the idea of the cause. But what inevitably happens is Jesus talks about so vividly in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Man, he's like, you know what? There's four seeds thrown out. Only one of them is going to make it. That's 75%. And it's not a percent thing, but I think he's trying to make a point. Most people who hear the word of God are not going to make it to the end. And that should wake us up. That should alarm us at some level. Because we have to, we have to take a, a pulse of ourselves. We have to take an assessment of what's really going on in our walk. Do, I want to make it. I'm not, I don't know about you, but I haven't been following God for the last 15 years just to not make it in the end. I haven't given up so much. I mean, I could list it, but I won't. I, I've not given up all these things just to not make it in the end. Right. I, I, I want to know if there's something lacking in me, if there's something lacking in us. We ought to be able to know what's going on. And there's something that's crucial about our relationships with each other that keeps us in that fight. And we have to remember that and we have to take assessment because I think for us as a church, uh, we have moments of really great connections and friendship. But for the most part, we are primarily concerned with ourselves. We are primarily concerned with our own schedule. Our minds are consistently preoccupied with what we want. Even right now, you might even have trouble listening to what I'm saying. Like, I just, I'm concerned about other things right now. I got, I got other things I got going on on my plate. And we, we can get blindsided by Satan. And it's important to look in here and try to glean from what Paul is saying so we can apply it for ourselves. Amen. We can take a good look at what he's saying and see, is this really happening today? in Charlottesville and beyond. And uh, these are incredible guys. So let's just walk through it. Paul's in prison and he hears from Epaphroditus that the church in Philippi is doing very well. So it's not like Corinth. The book to the Corinthians is like triple the, quadruple the length of this uh, because he has to address a lot of sin. There doesn't seem to be much sin in Philippi. I mean, amen, they've been oppressed, they've been struggling through persecution. There's a little bit of, you know, two women that don't get along, but hey, that's, you know, whatever, it's not anything new. And so, you know, it's not a big deal, right? Like, Philippi's doing quite well. Philippi's doing quite well, but Paul says what? I'm I'm still going to write you a letter, and I'm still going to send you my best guy. I'm going to send you Timothy to check in on you. Why? They're not struggling, they're not crying for help. It's actually, I mean, I don't know. It seems a little intrusive. They didn't ask for anyone to come. In fact, it's kind of funny that he sends Timothy because if you read about Philippi in Acts 16, Timothy's never mentioned in the whole story. Everyone else is mentioned. Luke is mentioned. Silas is in prison, right, with Paul. It's very excited. So we don't want to read too much into that. But at the same time, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they didn't really love Timothy so much in Philippi. But he wasn't mentioned. But Paul says, I want to send you I want to send you Timothy to, to, so he can check in on you so I can know how you're doing. It's a little intrusive, but Paul's like, no, I want to know how you're doing. I want to know what's going on with you guys. I want to be able to check in. Now, there was no open division in Philippi, but we know from what he said, there's some murmurings. There are still some struggles with complaints going on. Paul still wanted to address that and deal with it and go right to it. 
Now, we looked at the map. These places are not close. They're not close. If I said, hey, brother, can you swing by someone else's house on the way home from church to see how he's doing because he didn't come to church today, you might be like, hey, man, it's not on my way. But I might. Maybe you will. Maybe you're in a good mood today. Maybe you will. This is not close. And Timothy, it's not like he's just like, has, he's like you know, has no job. He's, has, he's a, has a lot of responsibility. He has direct responsibilities in Rome, in a Roman church that is massive. But Paul says, we're going to actually take you away from those direct responsibilities so you can check in on how the church in Philippi is doing. A church that is not under his direct responsibility. A church that we don't know how long he was there, but it doesn't seem like he was there that long. That's crazy. It's a love that does not know bounds of mileage, right? It's, I'm going to go. And he's like, I'm not just going to send Timothy. And he qualifies how great Timothy is by saying what? He actually doesn't have in mind his own concerns. He has in mind the concerns for others. He has a genuine concern for you. Um, and he says that a lot of people actually don't have concern for you. They have concern for themselves. And so we get, we get this great, uh, great endorsement of Timothy. That he actually, because he's, he's being sent because he has a genuine concern for the other Christians. And lastly, Epaphroditus, this guy, man, I don't know what sickness he had. But can you imagine, what would you have done? Some of you had a tickle in your throat this week, and you didn't go to midweek, right? It's true, it's real, right? I'm kind of a pansy myself as well when it comes to being sick. Right? It's like I get a little dramatic. I'm like, oh, I can't make it to anything. I feel dehydrated. Right? And, but look at this guy. He gets sick along the way and he almost dies just to bring Paul a gift. Just to bring Paul what the church in Philippi wanted him to have. This is an incredible standard of friendship. Is this you? I think we struggle with these things. I think we struggle to be like Paul. You know, people will confess to us their sin, and we won't say anything back or do anything to help them. We just say, oh, you know, well, there you go. Or, okay, keep it shallow. Let's talk about the kids or talk about sports. You know, Paul goes out of his way to send his best to a church that he doesn't, he doesn't have to do this. You know, but we have trouble just trying to help people. You know, we say out of sight, out of mind. You know, we say, well, they're not in my small group. They're not in my Bible talk. He's a yo pro. I don't. He, sure, he looked sad Sunday, but he's a yo pro. What do I do? It's not my responsibility. I'm not the group leader. I'm not Andre Gould. I can't have that conversation. That's Andre's job, man. He's the leader. But we say out of sight, out of mind. We say it's not my responsibility. You know, I think we see each other at church and we, we have so, much, so many expectations for how our needs need to be met. Yeah. And we don't take one second to consider how to meet other people's needs. And maybe we consider it for a second, like, oh, yeah, I really should. But it doesn't go further than that. This was like a road trip of road trips. This had planning and sicknesses. And it took weeks. And they lost money, right? I mean, they, they, it wasn't going to – how did it benefit Timothy to go to another church, right? I mean, he probably lost out on some, a lot of comfortabilities. You know, we struggle to be like Timothy, to be really concerned for each other. I think we get easily annoyed with each other. I think we get frustrated. I think we get frustrated with somebody, but we're not concerned for them. There's a difference between I'm impatient and frustrated with you because you blew it versus, bro, I'm concerned for your relationship with God. 
sister, I know what you said back there, and I trust you didn't mean it, but from, judging from what you said, I'm, just, I'm concerned about your faith. How's your faith going? How are you doing? I'm concerned about you. You know, we, I think we struggle with this. We, we feel a lot more frustration and annoyance about what they did to us than really trying to just say, I'm concerned about where you're at. Epaphroditus, you know, we give up easily. The smallest thing comes up, and we are a no-show at Friday Night Devo. The smallest thing comes up, and we say, we're campus. I'm not going to drive to Harrisonburg. That's an hour away. I can't. i got to study. Who can drive an hour? It's so far. We don't come to midweek because we want to eat dinner. Eat dinner before or skip a meal. Fasting has a lot of health benefits, but also it has a lot of spiritual benefits too. You know, we, we quit really easily. We give up really easily. And at least if you're going to miss, right? I mean, they sent word. He's like, Paul let them know the whole plan. He's like, oh, listen, um, so first, uh, Paphroditus is going to come. And then second, Timothy's going to come. And then I'll be there soon. I'm, I'm in jail. And I might die. But if I don't die, I'm on my way to Philippi. <laughs> this is the plan. He's got the whole plan out. And it's not like Philippi was asking for it. Philippi didn't say, we want you to be here and come right away. They just want to give him a gift. You know, this is Paul's heart. Here's the whole plan. Even if we don't show, there's no phone call. We don't call somebody and say, hey, I'm not making it tonight because I know there are lots of things that get in the way. I know there are things that come up. But are you concerned about your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Do you show any kind of concern? Are you concerned at all that you left them high and dry that one time? That you didn't tell them you wouldn't show and so there were two people there. And the, the, the brother who was going to lead the lesson had worked all week on that lesson. But you know what? People didn't show. They didn't show concern. And you actually hurt his faith. Next time he does a lesson, he probably won't try as hard. Or now he has to double back. And we can't put each other in those spots, guys. We can't do that. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about saying the right thing. I don't know what to say, Drew. Just let them know you're concerned. Communicate concern. Communicate that you care. That's all it is. You know, I don't even really know. I can't remember what Edwin said, said in his letter. But I remember that it was incredible. I remember being like, wow, he showed so much concern. He took the time to do all this. He took the time to, to type this out and actually brought us closer together. You know, he's in Hawaii, right? He, he sent that thing in the mail. Uh, you know, I just want to keep lifting him up because I think he's such a great brother. Uh, you know, he got this money from his school to go to Europe and it, it fell through. And he said, can I use that money to go to Charlottesville, Virginia, so I can encourage the church there? Uh, he didn't say I want to go on vacation. He didn't say I, I need that money to save for myself and my, my wishes, my dreams, all I need. You know, and he says, no, I want to come to Charlottesville and encourage the church. You know, and, and it blew me away. It blew me away. And I had to check my own heart. I just say, what would I have done? But I have said, oh, this is my chance to get some me time. This is my chance to go away with my wife. We need this. Or this is a chance to give and love brothers and sisters that are part of the body of Christ. Are we concerned for each other? What's the problem then? Why, why do we struggle with this? It's easy to have horizontal relationships. The world's really good at it. It's called networking, right? You can get friendships in the world pretty easy. Just find somebody with similar interests and you'll have a horizontal relationship. You'll have connection. Uh, I think that the issue here is... is Mostly because of one thing, and I think it's our pride. Yeah. You know, when I, there's several, a couple of people in here who are currently studying the Bible to get baptized, and a couple of people who are making that decision and they're considering it. But I've realized more and more and more what we've got to talk about in the Bible studies and what we've got to talk about after people get baptized is simply just one thing. Pride. Yeah. 
that's the issue because our culture feeds us materialism and feeds us this idea of we can do it, individualism, and we, get, we pull away from ourselves and we don't need other people. I was even talking to a young man recently about wanting to get baptized, become a disciple, and he said, he said no, I want to be my own person. I don't want to be like you know, my family who's Christians. I want to be my own, my own self. I want to be my own man. I was like, where'd that come from? Why wouldn't you want to be like your dad? He's incredible. Why wouldn't you want to be like your mom? She's an awesome example of faith. Why wouldn't you want to be like your aunt? You know, I, I was amazed. Like, why not? It's simply because he's coming out of this world of individualism that teaches him, be your own self and don't. You know, all these things, we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware of it. But the other thing that it is, is I'm not saying we all got to be, you know, uniform. We just got to be unified, okay? We don't have to be the same. I'm not similar to a lot of people in here and vice versa, but we got to be unified. we got to be connected. we got to be dependent on each other. You know, a body of Christ is dependent on itself. A body is dependent on itself. Um, you know, we need each other. But our pride gets in the way. You know, these men, you know what's incredible about this passage is uh, the idea of Jesus here. Um, Paul compares having interest for others the same as doing the work of Christ. What governed this whole section was not... I really love you, Philippians, because of our friendship and because we have a lot of similar interests. Probably not. The church in Philippi was mostly like Jewish uh, and, you know, uh, Hellenistic Roman women. And so it's not like Paul shared a lot of interest with them, perhaps, probably. And, they had, you know, there's a lot of uh, former soldiers in Philippi. So it's not that they had these great natural-born, you know, chemistry-ridden friendships, you know, where everything's just great. So what is it? It's that his love for everyone was governed by his love for Christ. And I think that's the problem that we have is that we love people right up until they hurt us because the grounds for loving them is they're going to be our friend and be nice to us. The grounds for loving them should be I'm going to love them because I love Jesus so much. I'm going to love them and nothing they can do will ever turn me away from loving them because nothing ever turned Jesus away from loving me. That's the difference. And here is not just horizontal friendships. It's vertical friendships. It's a triangle, right? We, we, as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. You know, and I'm so grateful for that. There's a lot of friendships I wouldn't have if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for uh, being able to uh, really go after humility myself along with the other brothers. But the issue at heart is our pride. We see everything through a lens of how it affects us. We see everything through a lens of how it affects us. We see an issue that is intimidating to encounter. It's scary. And we run away because of the discomfort it may bring. We are constantly reminding ourselves and others of our own inadequacy. We are constantly reminding ourselves of our own perceived, real or otherwise, busyness. And we lose focus on our purpose, our singular cause, our reason for existence. You know, today, uh, I just want to keep it simple. There's a lot to be distracted by. Uh, you know, there's a great scripture, Second uh, Corinthians 11.3. And it says, this is Paul writing. He's saying, I'm afraid. The real word there is concerned. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. I'm concerned that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul's, you know, he's, he's concerned about these guys. And I'm concerned about you. And not just because, like, I'm, not con- I'm concerned because you, you know, made fun of my apostleship, or you said I wasn't legitimate, or you accused me of stealing, which they had done all, all those times. He didn't say that. He says, I'm concerned that you're actually wandering from God. 
You know, when, some, when a part of the body gets disconnected from the body, primarily it will die because it's disconnected to the head, right? The head's crucial. You can't lose the head. You lose the head, you're done. And Colossians 2 says, you know, listen, somebody who's not connected to the body, somebody who strays, they've lost connection to the head. And so any issue that we might have with each other is fundamentally an issue that we have with God. If you struggle to consider the interests of another person, you struggle to consider the interests of God. If you struggle to forgive your spouse, you struggle to forgive, right, God. You're bitter at him. You're frustrated with him. You're holding on to something with God. Any issue that we have with each other is fundamentally, first and foremost, a God issue. It's not because your mom messed you up. She's, she's just a woman. She's doing her best, okay? It's, she's, just a, she's a fallen human being. Any fundamental issue we have is an issue with God. We've got to go vertical first before we go horizontal. We get so focused on the things in here and things that happen and don't happen. If we simply just keep it simple, church, because the cause will always conquer all. I actually, let me tell you something. You guys ready for this? Most of the time, I have no idea what to tell you people. I first moved here as a 24-year-old single, asked to lead a church with a woman I did not know. And um, I sat down with married men, very gracious, gracious married men. Thank you for being patient with me. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say in those discipling times you know, at uh, the gas station with Rob Jeffers as he shared his life with me. I didn't know what to say. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to be able to have those answers. Um, but after years of being here, you know what I find is uh, uh, it's not simply just knowing those answers. That it doesn't matter nearly as much, right? I don't remember what's in the letter from Edwin as much as I remember that he, because he's concerned. And so, you know what? I would know what I learned and I've learned in my time here is I don't have to have the answers, but the question is, is am I concerned? Do I care? Am I praying for you guys? Am I trying? Am I, am I asking questions? Am I looking up scriptures? Uh, am I following up? Am I just concerned? That's all we really need, just to show concern. We don't have to stop saying, I don't know what to do. If there's somebody new here today that you don't recognize, go up, talk to them, just show concern. How are you doing? What do you do for a living? Don't, it's okay. Get a phone number. Set up a Bible study. Just, just be concerned for others. Because it wasn't so much, you know, I think the content of Jesus, uh, I think it really was that he came and he loved you so deeply and so differently than anyone else that that rattled you out of your life of sin. That's what affected me. I had been in a lot of Bible trivia challenges before I became a disciple, and it did nothing. I got in a lot of Bible arguments before I became a disciple. It did nothing. I, I had great Sunday attendance, all right? I came out of the womb and I was there. I was there every Sunday, all right? I don't think I've missed a Sunday of our family of churches. I think I've done it twice my whole life, okay? You know, barring some, like, illnesses and things. I got I to be stronger in that area. Um, but it did nothing. You know what changed me was seeing the concern of Nick Anderson and James Williams and Anthony Galang, seeing their love, seeing them not give up on me. That's what we need in the Blue Ridge Church, and that's what we need in Harrisonburg. That's what we need, not just in here, but with our friendships in the world. To not give up on people. To hang in there with them. You know, Jesus never forgot his cause. How many do it on time? Oh, I'm going late. We started a little late, but I'm going a little late. So I'm going to wrap it up. But Jesus never... (laughs) Okay. One more hour. Uh, You know, 
Jesus never forgot his cause. You know, if you want to remember or write down Luke 19.10, Jesus always had to go back to pray so he could remember what he was supposed to do. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and save the lost. I love Mark 1, because in Mark 1, it says, I think it's exaggeration, but Mark says that everybody in all of the town was brought to Jesus so that he could heal them. And Jesus comes back from a prayer time, and what does he say? Yes, I'll heal all of you and meet all your needs. No, no, no. He says, listen, I got to go preach to the other towns and villages, because that's why I came. Jesus was able, he remembered his purpose. The goal of us being here is simple. And Jesus simplified it for us. Love God with all that you have. Everything. And you know what? You know what's amazing about the second one is it's a lot easier when you do the first one. Love your neighbor. We can't really, really, really love our neighbor until we really, really love God. And we've got to dig deeper in our hearts and in our relationship with God so that we can love each other the way we need to. And that's going to take time. It's going to, things are going to get messed up. Someone's going to say something offensive or insensitive to how, you know, your, to, doesn't fit your paradigm. That's okay. okay. It's okay. You know, Paul, I'm sure, blew it a ton of times. Timothy, Epaphroditus, but Paul's, Paul's concerned for them. And this is a beautiful letter of friendship because Paul, in prison, sets aside his own needs, his own desires. Epaphroditus sets aside his, his own health. He could have died for that, right? That... It's okay because he's doing the work of the gospel. If our relationships with one another are governed by our concern for the progress of the gospel, that's why we do it. We want to see the gospel advance in people's lives. When's the last time you were concerned for somebody else's progress in the gospel? Progress in the faith. How's your faith going? When's the last time you asked somebody, how's your faith? How you doing? How are you growing? You know, the amazing thing about Christ is that he knew everything about you, but still decided to sacrifice himself for you. And the even more amazing thing about Christ is that as I get older, I realize he's not going anywhere. You know, see, when you're young, you're going, I don't know, I didn't sin that much, but man, you got a lot of life left. And guess what? He's not going anywhere. In the same way that Jesus will decide to patiently and has decided to patiently hang in there with you. And just show you concern. The cross is just a great love story. It's just Jesus showing, I love you guys. To the depths of all you could ever imagine, I love you. That is what's supposed to wake us up and snap us out of this cycle of sin in our lives. Not any superior logic or criteria or motive. The last thing I want to mention is a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes 4.12. Have you forgotten the third strand? Ecclesiastes 4, 12. You know, it's a quarter of three strands. That whole section says two, when two lie down, they can you know, help each other up. If someone falls, he'll need someone else. Two, 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 two. And then it ends with a quarter of three strands. It's not easily broken. And you're like, where'd that third thing come from? I thought we were doing a two thing going on here. Well, we forget the third strand a lot. We try to go after relationships and friendships without God. It doesn't mean we have to say the word God every time we get together and like, you know, make it super you know, stiff and religious and fake. Just be real with them. Ask them how their relationship with God is. Ask them questions. Ask how their faith is. But don't forget the third strand. Do you have relationships like this? Are you getting involved in your brothers and sisters' lives? Do you call them to ask how their faith is? Do you call them? To confess. When's the last time you called to confess? 
Do you give up on them at the first sign of trouble? Are you more quick to be frustrated or annoyed with them, or are you genuinely concerned about their relationship with God? If these are a struggle for you, you have to go deeper vertically first, horizontally second. We've got to go after our relationships with God. We've got to get deeper with God. And I want to end with a challenge to help us do that. Because you might say, man, I don't know. What does that actually look like? One of my favorite things as a kid was memory scriptures. We've got a memory scripture challenge. The challenge is for everyone in this room to pick a memory scripture today. Today. Now, if you have a spouse, remind them, okay? They're going to go to bed and they're going to forget. You're going to say, hey, honey, what's your memory scripture? Ah, I forgot. I know. Let's do it now. So you can follow up. Roommates. Will, go throughout the house tonight. Like, hey, come on, man. What, what you got going on here, man? What's, what's, your, what's your memory scripture? It's okay if it's a short one. It's okay if it's a long one. But pick one. Pick one that has a piece, a piece of Christ or a piece of God that you want to grow in. Pick something specific to you. And there's your conversation starter the rest of the week. Hey, brother, what, which memory scripture did you pick? How's it going? It's okay if you struggle. It's okay. It's not about the actual performance of it. The goal is to have conversations based around the scripture. And based around, and it's going to tell you something. You chose one on anger. Why? Oh, I didn't know. You chose one. Oh, wow. Amen. I did not know that. How can I pray for you? See what I mean? So we're going to be able to practically hang in there with each other and have deeper spiritual conversations. We're about to sing a song. And I always love to read the lyrics of the song before we sing them. Um, And I think that this is a powerful one as we sing. uh, You know, I hear God singing to me. Uh, There's a great part that says, if you criticize us, we grow stronger. Kill us, and for sure we win, for our battle isn't earthly, and our souls will never end. And so as we sing this song together, let's really focus on building vertically and not horizontally. And remember that a cause, our cause, will always conquer all. Amen.